Welcome to Living by Faith. I'm your host, Trillia Newbell. Every Saturday, I pray that I would be able to help encourage you to enjoy the Lord and take the next step as you put your faith in action. We have so many things coming at us, so I am grateful that you would spend a Saturday morning with me. There's likely no harder thing for us to put into action than love. Now, I think you might be saying, well, wait, it's easy. I love my family. I love my, I love all of these people who are right, right next to me. And those definitely are your neighbors. But I am talking about this love that God calls us to, to love our neighbors as ourselves. I, I find it hard. I think we, we struggle here. Now, with that said, I am what my husband would call gushy. I am so expressive. I tell people that I love them. I, uh, you don't have to play a guessing game. <laughs> I, I'm just so, yeah, gushy. If we saw each other, I'd probably hug you and I will apologize because I know not everyone's a hugger. And in many ways, we see love all throughout our culture. Social media, you can say something absolutely terrible and what do you get to do? You get to heart it. You get to love it. We have Valentine's Day. We have, um, so we celebrate this romantic love on Valentine's Day. We're just enamored by love. If you looked at my, um, my uh, text message thread, <laughs> I, it's embarrassing to say this, but, well, not really. I have a gazillion heart emojis just lots of heart emojis. I love, 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 love. We love movies. We love socks. We love you name it. And in many ways, we've trivialized love. We, we've, we love everything. Do we love everything? We've trivialized it. But when I look at the word of God, God commands us to a radical love for others. So radical, it includes loving our enemies and persecutors and loving without expectation of receiving love in return. But of course, the most challenging of all is that we love God with all our hearts, minds, soul, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. We've seen in today's culture a fracturing of this in the local church, in the Big C Church, in evangelicalism, and online. Everywhere you go, you see fractures and, and brokenness. We, I would say, have... Um, have our muscles have atrophied in the area of love. We're, we're struggling and we need help. And that's why I'm very excited about my guest, Jamie Dunlap, who's going to help us think through how do we apply this in the local church context? Jamie has served as associate pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. since 2009, overseeing administration and adult education, as well as several nonprofits based at the church. Previously, he worked for a decade in business managing and operating units of a large consultancy um, while serving his church as an elder. Jamie has also written a new book to be released soon, Love the Ones That Drive You Crazy, <laughs> Eight Truths for Pursuing Unity in Your Church. He and his wife, Joan, have three school-aged children and live on Capitol Hill. Jamie, thanks for being with me. Oh, it's a delight to be here. Thanks so much, Julia. 
Absolutely. I love that you your title is Love the Ones That Drive You Crazy. <laughs> I think sometimes we don't want to be honest with ourselves, but in a local church context, I think if you're living, um, my pastor actually says this, if you are living authentically right, honestly, with a group of people, you're going to start to drive each other crazy. So I would love to hear the impetus of writing it. What what was it that led you to to write this book? Oh, it's that I think I was driving people crazy in my church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw them loving me. Uh, pastoring through 2020, 2021, uh, with all kinds of disagreements uh, yeah. over pandemic. Of course, I'm a few blocks in the Capitol building. So uh, the larger conversation that our country was having about politics was, I think, in uh, high definition in my church. Uh, lots of questions about racial justice and disagreements at the church about the right way to approach those questions or even what the right questions were to ask. And um, you know, through that time, I saw uh, very difficult conversations happening in my church. Some of those difficult conversations were with me. I can think of a number of uh, hard conversations I was having with people in the church who were upset with me. And yet, um, I watched them love me through that. Uh, during those that time, I was spending lots of time in the closing chapters of the Book of Romans. And I just began to kind of see mapping between what Paul talked about in the divisions of those Roman churches and what I was seeing with the good and the bad that was going on in my church. And I, I learned a ton about, you know, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what, what reward will you get? Yes. Uh, Sermon on the Mount. Easy, <laughs> easy love yep. doesn't show off the power of Christ. Yeah. And, um, and yet love where it's hard by definition, it challenges us. And I, I think there's just, there's a lot of overlooked tools, particularly in the end of Romans to help us think through when I get to those situations in my church where I'm asked by Jesus to love beyond what I can do, which is kind of the whole point, right? How do I do that? Well, let's get into Romans. Can you tell us specifically where you're talking about and where you've seen this um, where, how we would read that text, what, what chapter are we talking about, and how would we apply it? Yeah, so mainly Romans 12, uh, where Paul begins, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he goes on with this long section on love. And you need to remember, he's, he's speaking to the Roman churches, and he's just spent a good amount of time before chapter 12 setting up the idea that they are going to be Jew and Gentile who are natural enemies, would never be found together, but they're together in the local church. Chapter 12 mm -hmm. is about love. Chapter four, we get kind of an excursion in chapter 13. I don't look at as much, which is about government. Then he comes back to love at the end of 13. Chapter 14, he's talking specifically about differences of conviction that you're going to find in the church that they would have had because they're Jew and Gentile, and we're going to have our own differences of conviction, our own churches. And then right. chapter 15, he kind of wraps things up to talk about how all of that uh, is a platform for a wonderful God-honoring unity if we persevere in love for each other. 
Now, how are how do you see those differences in the things that kind of squeeze us? We feel to be a platform. Mm. It's a great question. Well, because we don't see it that way, do we? No. Right. We yeah. we think of church as the place that's supposed to be easy and safe. And you go to church and you see someone posting on social media something that you find appalling or the, you know, the church leadership makes a decision. You're like, oh, my gosh, how can I possibly associate myself with these people? Or you have something you feel very strongly about and your pastor is not talking about it. And you're just thinking, what what's wrong with these people? Uh, and so I think rather than we think it as a platform for God's glory, we think about this as something terribly wrong and we want to run away. We want to run away. Uh, but I think we need to remember that though sometimes it is the result of sin, very often all we're seeing is the natural result of a church, which is built on Christ alone and not Christ and my politics or Christ right. and my views of race relations or Christ and my views of children's schooling. And if if the gospel is at the center of your church, you will inevitably have people who think differently on important issues than you. And yet, if you can love them like Christ calls you to, not because you're such a great person, but because he is such a great God, that shows off how good he is. That's how those differences become a platform to show off the glory and excellence of Christ. Well, you are preaching to the choir. I I believe this deeply. And yet, when I look at the landscape of churches, and as we've seen and kind of experienced, it's, it actually seems to be causing divide. So people leave. So how do you encourage, or, or I guess there, there are two parts to this question. Are, is there is it okay to leave? When when is that when is it time where you say okay, this isn't this isn't helpful or or good. It's it's time to go. And when is it time to say nope? I actually want to I want to press in and love even though it's painful. It is okay to leave, and I think it's important to note. You know, as a as a pastor. I think one of the most important things I do is to give people permission to leave in that they've, they've kind of, they've worked themselves to the point that they come into my office to say, Hey, I'm thinking about leaving the church. And the best thing I can do is to say, brother, sister, if that's the best thing for you, Godspeed, let me help you find a place. Uh, we're all on the same team here. We're not competing with each other. Of right. course, it's okay to leave. Uh, my job as a pastor is to shepherd my people to the greenest pastures they can, they can get. And if that's not my church, I want them somewhere where they can grow. And yet, I think as uh, modern, particularly American evangelical Christians who have been brought up to think about the world as consumers, sometimes when we make that decision to leave, we're not weighing the cost and benefits appropriately. Uh, we, we see difficulties at church because people are different from us, we feel that something has gone terribly wrong and we flee what I think is sometimes the glory of Christ honoring diversity for the comfort of similarity. Hmm. And, uh, you know, if everybody was exactly like you and your church, truly, a church would be very easy. But that's not the point, right? You're right. And so I think, yes, it's okay to leave, but I, I desperately want people to be thinking about how to weigh appropriately 
both sides of that conversation when they make the decision, you know what, if I'm going to keep growing in Christ, I've got to go somewhere else. And the reality is, is that we need each other. And, and it's painful when, when people leave. It is, it is a pain. It's like, um, you, you know, you have the body of many parts. And when someone walks out, you're like, there goes my toe, you know, <laughs> you need that toe to stand up. But that's not to guilt people to stay. But I do think that 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 is a reality that that we experience when when we see this kind of uh, fracturing and people leave. And of course, people leave in for different reasons. I live in the Nashville, Tennessee area, and it's a transient place. So people are constantly coming in and out and in and out and in and out. And we never really know, okay, who's here to stay? So when we come back, we want to talk to Jamie and, 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 and think through, okay, what if you'd stayed? And how can you persevere, push through, and encourage one another? More when we return. Welcome back to Living by Faith. I'm your host, Trillian Newbell, and we have been talking about love and unity in the local church, and it's something that is really hard. We've also been talking about when people leave and giving permission to leave if you need, but there's lots of us who stay. And so, Jamie, you've been helping us think through how we can pursue each other in the local church and pursue this unity specifically thinking theologically through it. However, what encouragement do you have for those who are trying but struggling to love people at their church who they don't see eye to eye with um, on the things that are important to them, but they're, they're stick, sticking it out. They're staying, but they're still struggling. Mm. Well, I think encouragement is the right word. I mean, that's what we need. Yeah. Uh, just to pick up a phrase I, I gave in the last segment, easy love rarely shows off gospel power, which I think is just kind of paraphrasing what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it can feel as if things have gone terribly wrong, right? Because we want to think about church as a safe refuge from the world. I just, I just want us to remember, though, that if, if a church really is built around Christ alone, rather than Christ and my favorite musical vibe and my shared background and whatever, then I'm going to be in church of people who think differently from me. And right. um, we talked in the last segment about that being a platform for God's glory. I, I really appreciate how Paul puts this uh, in the middle of Romans 15. Uh, he says, as he, he kind of does a prayer wish, he says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's writing this to a church or churches that are full of both Jew and Gentile. And yet he's saying, look, if you can show that being in accord with Christ Jesus is all that's necessary to live in harmony with one another, Jesus gets the glory, right? That's yeah. how we show that he's enough and he's sufficient. And, uh, and if they decide, you know what? We're done. We're going to have a Jewish church over here and a Gentile church over here. Well, you brought up the body of Christ image. I think they they are missing something, but also Christ is missing something because what's missing is the opportunity to prove out that he really is good enough for them. Mm. 
So that's my that the gospel is enough. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it just um, gosh, I think it just speaks such a word to a broken world that there is something different. Our love for for another, our love for one another, is an apologetic to a broken world, and for them to see, okay, we we can have differences, but we can come together, um, and that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. As a matter of fact, it's not. It's going to be hard. I mean, if we're really honest, some of our we we don't walk into church and constantly talk about politics. Some of our disagreements are things like the work. Why are we have that electric guitar on the, on yeah. the worship? I mean, there we're talking about these big things, but there can be these other things and that are big to us. I should let me back up because I don't want to, minim, you know, um, minimize your whatever your listener struggling with, but we, we have the big philosophical things that are happening in the culture. And then we have these little just preferences that we, 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 we are like, why aren't we doing it this way? Or, or our leadership, why isn't our leadership leading this way? Or I could just name a number of things that we just tend to bring with us. And so I, I just wonder how do we, is there any real practical, like you're walking into church and you're, how, how can we change our mindset or do we need to? Like what, how can we approach people and go into the church with um, eyes to see each other? I don't know. Do you know what I'm asking? Yeah, I, I, you have, your, your question of perspective is so helpful, right? Because I it, we can be so myopic and focusing yes. on the things that yeah. frustrate us. I think one thing is just remember the grand vision that the, the fact that you're being asked to love beyond your own strength is kind of the whole point, right? If, if you could do this all by yourself, then who would get the glory? You would, right? Uh, I find it interesting in, in Luke six, when Christ calls us to love even our enemies, uh, he says, be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. It's, mm. it's, it's looking to his mercy that gives us the ability to do that. Same thing in Romans 12. He says, appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. We, we have got to lean into his mercy and understand what he has done for us in Christ as he suffered for our sin on the cross. If we're to have any hope of loving those other people uh, that, um, that he has also saved and put together with us. Um, I, and I think we need to we need to have that positive vision in mind. Do, do you have a time for me to tell a quick story? Oh yes, have, yes, absolutely. I think about um, a, a guy who came to my church. He was a professor at Harvard University, so very smart guy. Not a Christian. He had been teaching at Harvard for decades by the time he came to visit us. And he told me later. He said, "You know, I just started talking to people after the service, and it was clear to me two things. Number one." They had nothing to gain from each other. And number two, they were deeply committed to each other. Mm. And that puzzled him. He, he actually is a professor of psychology. He focused on group psychology. He's like one of the world's experts in how people function in large groups. And it just did not make sense. And so the next time he was in Washington again, he visited the church again. And it was kind of a personal pet project. What is it that makes this thing tick? And uh, your listeners know the answer to that. It's Jesus. And as he began to realize that, he began to study Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And 
his sin became deeply personal to him and a problem. And he realized mm. Jesus was the answer to that problem. He became a Christian. He mm. retired. He moved. He actually lives down the street from me. He's a member of my church now. But we forget that. We, we, we look at those differences and we want to run away and we forget that there are people looking in from the outside where when those differences are small compared to Christ in our estimation and we treat them that way, it's a, an amazing witness to the truth and power of the gospel. But if we give in and we just think these differences are all that matter, we, we forfeit the idea for someone like Bill, my friend, to come and see something that ultimately leads them to Christ. I love that. And I love the idea of <laughs> nothing to gain. I, I think so much, we, we've already kind of talked about our consumeristic and myopic um, culture, but also we're, we're in a culture where everything's kind of your connections and what you can get from this person and what you can get from that person. And, and in a local church context, you're there as the body of Christ to love one another and serve one another. And and that he could see that kind of played out, I think, is such a testimony. So praise God to to that. But I also do think that you just never know who's who's watching. And I and I say that not to, as a we have to we should not live fake fakely. <laughs> we don't fake it. Um, but it is a an awareness that our 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 pet peeve or our our whatever it is that we're hanging on to that's keeping us from loving our neighbor well or listening well could be the very thing that turns someone off. And, and I, I, I say that, and also I should say, we don't have that much power. <laughs> if God wants to save someone, he's going to save them in whatever means, by whatever means, but it's, it's, we want to be a part of this mission. And so what is it that you think, why do we actually need people in our churches who are not like us? Um, you kind of mentioned that, but I want to, I want to dig into that deeper. Wouldn't we be better off without them? Uh, it's a question I ask. Yeah. Like, gosh, I know that Paul says that we're members of one body, but couldn't, you know, they're indispensable, but couldn't they be indispensable to someone else's body? Like that'd be a lot <laughs> easier, Lord. That's my self-righteousness speaking, but that's also me honestly speaking. It, it's You brought up that, that picture of the church as the body of Christ. You know, Paul brings it up a few different places in the New Testament. Every time he does, he has a different focus, right? Hmm. So 1 Corinthians 12, when he brings it up, he says that uh, we need each other. And he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Uh, and I think one of the most important ways we need each other is we need each other's faith. Right. There's something about uh, your faith when when you see the world differently than I do, uh, that is particularly encouraging to me because you're having to trust Jesus in ways I may not need to. Uh, Ephesians chapter four, same image, body of Christ, different application there. He says we need that diversity of the body of Christ to protect our doctrine. Uh, we often think that unity and doctrine are kind of you know, different, like I either have unity or doctrine. Paul's like, no, they come together. Uh, if you want your church to continue to believe the same gospel, believe the same Bible 50 years from now, then you need the whole body and you need to work for unity in that body. I think the path to heresy very often 
is uh, is that we divide, um, hmm. which is which is counterintuitive because as evangelicals we're so used to calls to unity above doctrine being the path to liberalism, which is also true, but we need to recognize we need unity if we're going to remain together. And then Romans twelve, same image, body of Christ, different application. There he goes, I think, a step further and says, not not only do we need each other, we belong to one another. Since we're individually members of one another, one of another. And uh, the image that comes to my mind is, you know, a family that comes together after, say, divorce or uh, a spouse is widowed, where you have these step siblings in the very beginning. You don't belong, but you're kind of there because you have to be there. But if things go well 10 years from now, when you have that family reunion, you belong. Uh, and that's the same in the church. We were adopted in together. We belong to one another. That's a beautiful invitation to discover uh, why that is. Why are we together? I love the doctrine of adoption more when we return. Living by Faith with Trillia Newbell. And I am talking to Jamie Dunlap about his book, Love the Ones That Drive You Crazy. And we have been talking about the doctrine of adoption, which is one of my favorite uh, doctrines. It's one of the my the uh, just amazing truth of the gospel and what it accomplishes and the fact that we can be um, of the family of God, I just every time, yeah, I'm I'm almost without words. I, it really is so amazing to me. It's radical to me, and that even Jamie and I, we he lives in Washington D.C. I am in Nashville, but we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Is a radical truth to me, and amazing gift from God. But as siblings, it is hard. It is hard. And so one of the things that I want to lean into is the idea of your title. Because at first I was like, oh, this is kind of, this is clever and fun. Love the ones who drive you crazy. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. We Should people drive us crazy? Is there an arrogance in that, that we we are driven crazy by people? How do So do you spend time helping our hearts, helping us, um, think through, okay, what, why are we, why are we being driven crazy? Is there something wrong with maybe us? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'd never say that Jesus was being driven crazy by the crazy people around him, uh, but he was Jesus and we are fallen yeah. people. Uh, I think it's really important to recognize that if you're reading this book because you're having a hard time loving so-and-so at your church, they could probably very easily get the book because they're having trouble loving you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a, there's a, so the title's tongue in cheek, uh, obviously it's designed to kind of capture that feeling that we have. Uh, but we need humility to recognize that, um, very often the problem the reason why so-and-so is driving me crazy is in my own heart, that I'm self-righteous, yeah. uh, that I'm impatient, uh, that I esteem myself too highly. And um, get, getting back to Romans 12, 14, 15, I think Paul does a marvelous job 
of helping to cut us down to our own size, help us understand the fact that we belong to one another, trying to see uh, how hope should change the quality of our relationships together, and to just give us some good, solid advice on how to stop judging one another, which is mm. kind of where the driving one crazy intersects with, you know, we don't just disagree over the color of the carpet, but over some real convictional material. Mm -hmm. uh, and he just just gives us wonderful gospel tools to get inside our own hearts so that we can have a different perspective. Because so often that's what you need. Like you, you know, you have a difficult situation and then you discover, oh gosh, like his mom just died or, oh, he's struggling with unemployment. And you look at that relationship so differently. It's, mm -hmm. it's that kind of different gospel perspective on a more spiritual level. I think we can get to give us more encouragement, honestly, more joy in building friendships, affectionate friendships, Paul tells us in Romans 12, 10, mm. uh, with people where we might not share much in common other than Jesus Christ. Mm. Well, what would you say that hard-won friendships lead to greater joy? Would you say that, that, that those kind of, you, you fought the, the good fight together and you're, you're seeking to love in the hard places, does that lead to greater joy? Uh, yeah. I, I don't think you have to be a Christian to believe that. I mean, if, oh, yes. if, if you have a neighbor and you fought for 10 years and then finally you discovered your shared love of dogs or whatever, and now you have a friendship, there's something sweet about that. But I think it's all the more so for Christians. Um, because I think in those hard fought friendships, that's where you've built most solidly on Christ, right? If, if you and I are friends, Trulia, and uh, we love Jesus, but we also are, I don't know, big, I grew up in Chicago. So, I'll, you know, we're big Chicago Cubs fans, right? When we get together, what do we talk about? We talk about Jesus because we're both Christians. We also talk a lot about baseball. But if, on the other hand, we really have got to scratch our heads to think of anything we share in common other than Jesus, and yet we are friends, that friendship probably will not happen as fast. And it's going to require more charity and more patience. And we're going to have to lean a little bit harder onto that new nature that Christ has given to us that loves him more than our own comfort. But we will have had to build that friendship on Jesus. And I guarantee you, Jesus is a far better foundation for a friendship than right. baseball or, or yeah. anything else. And so in the church, very counterintuitively, the people with whom you share almost nothing in common other than Christ have potential to be your deepest. And I think your most joyous friendships because they are going to have to be built on Christ alone. Absolutely. And I'll tell you this, Jamie, I don't know baseball. So, <laughs> so it will have to be built on Jesus alone. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. no, but that is absolutely true. And, and I think that um, now what I, I wonder if, for those friendships, I know some of the deepest friendships I have had in my past weren't, it weren't, well, it wasn't only that we didn't have anything in common and we were trying to find commonality. Um, it was that we, we disagreed greatly mm. and had conflict and had to reconcile. And the Lord used that. Now, not everyone who reconciles will become well, friendships do part ways, and I think they can um, in a loving way. You can love that person without still 
having that deep abiding friendship. However, I have experienced the opposite where um, one person in particular I'm thinking about, we there was some deep conflict. We just kept hitting um, our heads against the walls. I don't know what it was, but but we could not get along and we disagreed constantly. And we were, we were um, annoyed with each other quite a bit. <laughs> and we just had to grow in humility and and confess where we were arrogant and where we were just ah we were just constantly struggling and and at war with one another those quarrels that James talks about um what are the passions well there were lots of passions at war within us and we just butt heads and so have you seen something similar where uh, maybe in your local church context where people are you've mentioned it people disagree where these disagree people are disagreeing but they they found a way to just really press in and love one another I have to say yes yeah of course um I mean I, I think about uh a, a friendship in my church two people I'm in a political town uh but they each have worked for two very famous political opponents and they have developed a deep friendship. They do not see eye to eye politically, uh, but they they have a sweet friendship and they can talk about politics with each other because they have that commonality in Christ. I think for each of them, it's real life-giving and it's a real correction for each of them because yeah. someone with whom you disagree on things you care about, but you agree in Jesus is probably better positioned to point out some of your blind spots than someone where you just kind of always agree with everything. Um, oh man! Or I think about. Can oh, go we ahead, pause sorry. there real quick? I'm so sorry, but I think that's so important. I really do think that we can grow better um, and grow more in Christ when we are with people who don't agree with us all the mm, time. Mm -hmm. It sharpens you. It and it will reveal those blind spots. It will also help you con deepen your convictions in some ways. You might change on some things, but I think in other ways it can help you clarify okay this is what i mean and this is why well, this is why i believe this um so so i think that's just so important carry on sorry i just i wanted oh, and, to insert and, that. well maybe to pile on top of what you just said and it puts it in perspective yes. right so you're treating it like a 10 it's really a four and a half and right. when you are in a friendship that is founded on christ and you share the gospel in common okay it begins to feel more like a four and a half and not so much like a 10. Mm, absolutely absolutely and and i think that the lord can ah he can use that in our lives in such special unique ways to build the body of christ if we can have those conversations which i pray we can and i know we can because of the power of the spirit what a difference it would make what a difference it would make in our own lives and in churches all uh, just all around this this particular country oh I'm loving this conversation. More with Jamie in just a minute. Welcome back to Living by Faith. I'm your host, Trillia Newbell, and we are talking about uni, division, love, all sorts of things. And about people who drive us crazy. No, we're not talking about the people. We're talking about our hearts and how we can love people well and how hard it's hard. It's hard. But by the grace and power of God, we can do this. One thing that I think is really interesting and that I hear often in 
today's culture and as we're talking about the local church and evangelicalism, we tend to think division in the church is worse than ever. That's kind of the language. We're just like, everything's falling apart. But Jamie, you remind us that there was deep division in the first Christian churches too. So what were some of the initial deep divisions over? And do you think division is getting worse in our context? It's a great question. Uh, I mean, just think about the very first Christian church in Jerusalem. Uh, We don't get very far into the book of Acts. Acts 6, we discover they're divided between the Hebrew-speaking Jews and the Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenist Jews. And it's a big deal, right? The apostles call, I think, every Christian on the planet into a big meeting to basically say, we've got to do something about this. Uh, because we don't want the apostles distracted from the teaching of the word and prayer, and we don't want the unity of the church to lie about Jesus if it's dispersed. Uh, and then we don't get too far uh, uh, further in the book of Acts. We discover Gentiles are coming to the church. Uh, we see in the book of James that we've got rich and poor, the uh, Philemon. We see that we've got slave and free. Uh, and, and, and I think what's most shocking to us at least, is that these churches were designed to have all of these differences from the very beginning with a bunch of Christians who may not have been Christians for more than a few months or a few years. And so even with these immature churches, uh, they are built as sort of a powder keg of division in large part, I think, to show that the gospel is enough. So in Ephesians, Jew and Gentile. That's a big focus of Paul's light of the Ephesians. It says in Ephesians 3 that even the heavens above stare in wonder at what's going on in that church. And I think it seems in context, particularly the fact that a Jew and Gentile together as the new family of faith. Uh, if, If there were no divisions to begin with, there would not be near the same glory for Christ and wonder at what he's done. Hmm. So is it getting... Uh, yeah, is it getting, is it getting worse? Ahead? You asked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly, from my standpoint, uh, I, I quote a sociologist, sociologist at the University of Illinois, talking about different factors in which uh, evangelicals seem more divided today than they were 20 years ago. Um, why is that? Uh, we've got a secularizing culture. You know, think about the things you disagree with people about today versus 20 years ago. I think a lot of pastors would love to go back to the worship wars of the 1990s. Yeah. Uh, today, <laughs> you have so much more convictional things to disagree about just because the society is more secular. It's forcing more decisions. Uh, that's, I think, a bad reason. A great reason why this is harder is churches are becoming more ethnically and racially diverse. Uh, that's statistically there. Uh, and uh, that answer to prayer comes with, I think, new challenges that we need to be prepared for to love our neighbor as ourselves in ways that we maybe didn't realize we had to. Uh, Certainly the way we consume media is changing that. So uh, the same polarization that leads to in society will also find its way into the church. So yes, I think these things are harder than they used to be. And yet the optimist in me would look at Romans 15, I quoted earlier and say, and that means we have greater opportunity now than we used to, to show that Jesus is enough. 
You know, it's interesting because you have said this probably several times that the gospel is enough, Jesus is enough. And what I do know, um, just being in this space a little bit, talking through unity and diversity and all of our differences, is that often people will say, well, it's easy to say, just preach the gospel or the or Jesus is enough. Now, but they would say, but but what about action? What about this? And I would love to hear your thoughts on that because that is something that comes up quite a bit in as I um, hear people talking about this topic. I think the the main action that's needed is sacrifice, right? Yeah. That um, diversity, no matter what kind of diversity it is, has a cost. Going back to Acts six, you know, though that majority Hebrew congregation seems to have uh, allowed the deacons, the first deacons, to be majority Greek speaking, uh, because they seem to value the unity of Christ more than their own comfort in taking care of their widows. And the same thing for us, that diversity is going to cost you something. And that means that you need to be willing to sacrifice. Uh, so, yes, absolutely. We preach the gospel. We live the gospel. We recognize that Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. That's the implication of the gospel. I don't think uh, we will often find uh, that there are more important ways to do that than to sacrifice in love for each other in the local church. It's, it's hard. It is. It's yeah. costly. And that's, again, that's kind of the whole point. Easy love rarely shows off gospel power. Yeah. And everyone needs to be on board and doing this, not just one people group or one segment of your church population, but we all need to be thinking through, okay, how can we um, sacrifice and love our neighbor well? And what what does that sacrifice look like? And we're not talking about theology or doctrine, sacrificing truth. But it's sacrificing some of these preferences, laying down swords, I think that is um, that is what needs we need to evaluate and see. Okay, Lord, what 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 are you actually calling me to? If you're calling me to this body of people, and and how can I serve and love them well? So you are a pastor, and I want to take advantage of that <laughs> because there are likely pastors listening who are weary and tired and really discouraged. How can you encourage them? Because that, I think everyone's been affected, but I've, I believe pastors have been really affected by the last six plus years and what's happened in our culture and the divide. And, and how might you encourage their faith? That's a good question. I mean, is it, pastors have to do the same thing everybody else does. Right, you need to go back to the mercy God has shown you, and to realize that that is the source of my love for others, not my own strength. I think as pastors, especially because we're the ones up front, it's really easy to think that we should have it all together. We should be able to love these people who honestly are driving us crazy. We also need to go back to the mercy of God. I think. Secondly, I would just say, brother, uh, pastor, just recognize that what's going on may be because you have led your church exactly right. You have encouraged them to find commonality in Christ and not in, say, uh, cultural similarities or uh, preferential similarities. And the fact that you're kind of seeing some growing pains is precisely because you've built this church on Christ alone. Way to go. <laughs> um, mm. 
that's exactly what you should have been doing. And this is the natural outgrowth of that. Um, and I think the third thing is just look at the vision of heaven. Uh, the scripture mm-hmm. gives us that we see every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And it works beautifully that Jesus is going to do exactly what you're hoping to see in your church. You're going to see some of it now, but you're going to see all of it later. And uh, put, you know, it just reminds you to keep your chips focused on, you know, put your chips on heaven. That's what we're aiming for. And we're going to see it all happen there. Uh, put your chips on heaven. I love that. Um, I would like for you to give us three or four practical steps, things that we can do tomorrow to help um, as we are thinking through and, and finishing up this interview. Okay. Uh, practical steps. I would just say with, with this mentality in view, prayerfully read through Romans 12, 13, 14, 15. I think that yeah. once you see this in the context of diversity, it will become extremely practical. Hmm. And maybe find someone in your church where you don't share much in common and do that with them. Just say, hey, sister, brother, uh, what if we just get coffee once a week for four weeks, we'll take a chapter a week and just think through how we can do that, given the fact that I know we share, uh, we, we approach things differently. Uh, maybe the last thing to keep in mind is that some people are sacrificing merely by walking in the doors of your church because they don't fit in. And there's a special call on everybody else who fit in very naturally to choose the same sacrifice uh, because they love Christ just as much. Mm, amen to that. Another step you can take is grab Love the Ones That Drive You Crazy by Jamie Dunlap. I'd like to thank my guest, Jamie, for joining me today. Also, thanks to the behind-the-scenes team at Moody Radio, Karen Hendren, my producer, and my engineer, Courtney Young. To hear today's program again, you'll find it at livingbyfaithradio.org or on the Moody Radio app. You may also connect with us through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Trillia Newbell. Living by Faith is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Moody Bible Institute.